Hello, welcome to episode eight of Who You Don't See, the podcast which celebrates the people behind the stars. In this podcast, we chat to people you might not have heard of, but who are key to making the magic happen. So we'll hear from choreographers, fashion stylists, tour managers. If they work with a household name, this podcast exists to give you an insight into their world. I'm your host, Megan Lawton, a journalist, broadcaster, and generally nosy person. And in this episode, I chat to vocal coach Lorna Blackwood. I mean, I'm always backstage bombing about in a pair of trainers and my jeans because I'm normally running around a building somewhere going from broadcast to the editing truck to the, you know, wherever. You're backstage and it's just another backstage area. And I said to uh, one of the guys that I work with, I was like, oh, should we just go for a walk? I went for a walk out around the auditorium and they're setting the tables up and the red carpet's out. And it's like, wow, I'm at the Grammys. (laughs) Put on any pop radio station and within minutes, you'll hear a musician she's worked with. Dua Lipa, Ellie Goulding, George Ezra and Mabel are just some of the artists she regularly coaches. In her own words, giving them that extra 2%. And it works. After two coaching sessions with George Ezra, his song reached the UK top 10. Dua Lipa now says all she needs is honey, lemons and Lorna. Quite the endorsement. I zoomed Lorna last week, where we spoke about being backstage at the Grammys, learned why chocolate gives you noisy spit, and also heard all about her lectures for her artist to stop smoking. Thank you so, so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Really nice to be asked. Really, really nice to be asked. Very exciting. I've put my mascara on for you, you know. I put makeup on today as well. (laughs) So let's start where we always do. If you got chatting to some people in a bar and they asked you what you do for work, what would you say? Oh, sometimes I say I'm I'm a waitress or a teacher to dodge the question. <laughs> do you? Why? It depends who I'm talking to. It depends. Um, okay. So but if, I, talking- yeah, if, I, if I do, I generally I say I'm a vocal coach. Um, I'm a vocal coach and a vocal producer. And then people normally say, what's that? Yeah, I mean, what? Well, I'll ask that same question. What is that? Um, well, vocal coaching is everything that it says. You know, it's coaching a vocalist uh, to be the best singer they can be. Um, vocal production is essentially taking aside the vocal element to a recording, and I work solely on that. So um, I record the vocal with my engineer. I direct the session direct the artist in a way that you would an actor on set or you know give all the pointers and helpful things and and because I'm a coach if something's not happening from a dramatic or emotional point of view we then go technical and talk about it in that fashion um it just depends who's on the other side of the glass amazing we will come to how your sessions work later I want to know about your route into the industry and how or when did you think I want to be a vocal coach or was that an afterthought (laughs) after another career route? It was never told to me about as on my career's advice days. (laughs) No. Oh God. On my career advice day, I think like when they, when you put all those things into the, that mad question section, mine came up with something like painter and decorator. I I was like, okay, well, I mean, I don't mind a bit of painting and decorating, but I prefer singing. Um, No, I never actually thought I want to be a vocal coach. It, it just kind of happened. Um, which I'm really glad about. Um, yeah, I was a singer 
all my life. I, I came in via musical theatre. Um, and when I finished my training, arts educational, a long time ago in London, in Chiswick, um, I got my first three-month contract before I'd finished my second year, actually. that's Yeah, so I did my first job whilst I was in my second year, which I really enjoyed. But already I was thinking, it's a long time to do one thing every night. Anyway, I finished my training like a good girl, and, and then I got another three-month contract. And I was like, mm, yeah, it's, I don't want to do the same thing every night. Anyway, I was in between jobs working in a bar um, called Beavers. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most popular drink at Beavers? <laughs> I won't tell you that. Um, <laughs> I was working in Beavers, which is unbelievably up Jeffrey's Passage in Guildford. Um, but <laughs> and, um, a guy came in who ran a covers band agency. Um, and I used to sing in the bar as well with the guy who owned it. And uh, his name was Gavin. Hello, Gavin. He's a lovely, lovely guy. Um, he gave me lots of opportunities. And this guy came in from an agency um, and said, did you want to come and sing for our bands? Um, I was like, sure. I'm, I'm an actress, really. But OK, sure. Um, and I walked into the office and uh, one of his colleagues said to me, how much 70s music do you know? And I lied and said about an hour. And he said, do you think you know an hour of ABBA as well? I went, yeah. And then I went home and I learned 28 songs that night. <laughs> yeah. And the following night was New Year's Eve, uh, the year before Millennium. I think that was 1999. And I did a two-hour gig at the chain store, which used to be this big venue opposite where the dome is across the other side of the river. I did that for a few years and, and I, I loved fronting bands. I fronted about 12 at one point um, and it was great fun. And then I ran into some issues um, because I was young and stupid. I didn't get them looked at. My voice was failing on me and I just thought, oh, it'll be fine. Um, I'll just keep going. This has never happened before. It'll be fine. Um, and then eventually I ended up with nearly no voice at all. Um, and I went to see a wonderful man called John Rubin. Um, who's a vocal surgeon he's an ENT specialist and I had the world's biggest nodules um, and when I told him that this all happened over the last eight nine months he said that that's not possible so they did a biopsy and had a look and everything and I had cysts on my vocal cords ouch um yeah it was painful um and are they, are these are the things they talk about in pitch perfect <clears throat> um yeah basically Cysts are like you can get them like you get them anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I've got them on my vocal cords, and then because I'm a singer, I'd been singing on them and squeezing my vocal cords together over these lumps, and they'd gone hard and made nodes or nodules or what everyone talks about. Um, so anyway, I had them taken off. Then they grew back, and John said I was the unluckiest singer known to man because oh. they grew back, and I had them taken off again. And this all took about uh, a year to go around this process. Um, but then I started training when I came out the other side of my recovery with this incredible woman called Maureen Scott. Um, and she kind of just changed the way I did things. Um, and then, of course, I was really down on work because I was used to gigging at a minimum of five nights a week. Yeah, it's your income. Yeah. Um, and my husband's a musician as well, so we weren't doing particularly well. <laughs> um, and she said to me, you're really rather good at this on the coaching like I picked it up quickly 
And Maureen was incredible. And she started sending people to me that she didn't have time to see. And then I started up um, a singing group for local singers. This one I was living in Barnes, just on the river. Um, and I started with just six people who had basically, somebody had come to me for a private lesson and she said, would you be willing to do a group? And I said, okay, yeah, why not? I'll give it a go. And I started with six people in a village hall. And by the end of that year, I had four groups of 12. And I never do more than 12 because it's a vocal technique class that I used to do, not a choir. Um, I had four groups of 12 and I was running a business that bought me in like 25 grand a year. Amazing. And also I got my coaching skills up to a level where it's like, if you can teach amateurs to sing, you can pretty much teach anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and the lovely women that used to come to my group, and I'm still friends with a lot of them now, I always say that to them, you know, God, if I can teach you, that like, I can teach anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no, they're, they're lovely, and they all do really well, actually. Um, and then I, so some of them were coming to me privately, um, and I was using the room of my husband at this point, had a recording studio, and we still have it in Clapham. I was using one of the little rooms there to coach some people. Um, and he was working with a lovely artist called Tom Tyler, who um, doesn't do music anymore, um, sadly. He's absolutely amazing. Um, and Tom heard me and said, could I come and have a lesson? I was like, sure, okay. Um, and Tom has this incredible voice, but had its own issues. And in a similar way to mine, he had suffered from similar problems that I'd had, whilst mine was not great. Um, and before I knew it, Tom was having like two lessons a week and just going going for it crazy. Um, and then uh, Dan Kaplan uh, was working with my husband um, and his manager at the time, Joe Etchells, who is now A&R at Virgin MI. Um, he said, why don't you go and see Lorna? Like she could really help you. And Dan was my first signed artist that came to see me and he's well incredibly successful now um so he's my original um, yeah and they haven't stopped coming through the door since then <laughs> no well the next one was George Ezra actually uh, again which was just a happy coincidence and it was George who so George was working with my husband heard Dan next door with me I didn't actually coach George first what happened was there was a song I don't know if you know blame it on me they couldn't quite get the vocal right. And I think they'd redone it about three, four, maybe even five times. And Labour weren't happy. George wasn't happy. Cam wasn't happy. So Cam said, will you come in and help me? I was like, yeah, sure. I was terrified. <laughs> um, but that was my first kind of wander into vocal production for a signed artist. And then Blame It On Me went top 10. I think it was five or six. I can't remember. Um, and then suddenly the world wanted me to be their vocal coach. That is not bad for your second client, is it? The result <laughs> around there. So, Lorna, you are on this podcast and you've already mentioned a few names already because you work behind the scenes with some huge names. Dan Kaplan, George Ezra. Who else do you regularly work with? Um, Mabel, Ellie Goulding. Tom Walker, um, and of course, Dua Lipa, who is my sweetheart, my PPSB, my pop princess on bird. She's, um, well, we've risen up together and that's what's been really, really nice. But yes, all of those people are wonderful artists that I work with and I'm very, very lucky. I've recently taken on Frank Carter as well from the Rattlesnakes. And, yeah, um, love him. Yeah, 
Um, you mentioned there being nervous, understandably nervous with George Ezra, understandably nervous with Dan Kaplan. I guess because these are people, I guess, and myself included, I'm like, but these guys are singers already. Like, why do they need to be told how to sing? And you, you, I guess, are going in there as an authority on singing. Like, that must be quite nerve-wracking. It is. And a lot of it is that um, a lot of artists, the singing just comes naturally, but essentially they've got no idea how it works or I mean you don't when you're and think how young artists are now like I'm being sent development artists that are only 16 years old yeah you know um and Dua was only 19 when she walked in the door for her first session you know you don't really know much about yourself you know at that age And, and these young artists are learning it all on the fly whilst they're writing whilst they're producing you know trying to be creative every day when do you have time to think about how your voice might work when it just comes out the way it does? Um, yeah. So basically I, I started with the thought that really I just didn't want anyone that I coached to go through what I went through. And my first port of call is to keep their voices safe. Um, how do you keep a voice safe? With good, strong technique. Yeah, good, strong technique, vocal care. Um, and you don't have to be you know, a nun either. You can have a nice time. (laughs) But no smoking, definitely no smoking. We will come on to that later. (laughs) So talk me through a typical session, whether that's an intro session with with Dua Lipa first walks in or the kind of work you do now. How specific are you getting with your coaching? Is it even down to like the S's on, I don't know, the whistling S's? I don't know, you tell me. Yeah, I am a nitpicker. I'm incredibly... Um, focused on detail because I think there's plenty of people out there who are you know singing great fine but what makes a superstar is that final two percent and so what kind of thing you will they kind of sing for you and then you analyze it and think okay this, um, this, usually this. I ask to hear a bit of music before I see someone if there's any demos that they've been working on or if there's something on YouTube or something like that um, and so I have an idea of what they're about um, we always have a chat first session not for too long I like to get on with it really um but I always ask people what they want from their sessions with me what they would like to achieve if they have any vocal issues what do they tend to be um what tends to go wrong regularly what tends to go right regularly and then the first session I literally give any artist just a pit stop around the way I do things um you know how it all works, the main four cogs in the machinery that make up the way I coach vocals. Um, and then if they like it, they can come back. <laughs> but and I, they seem to like it. <laughs> I do. I'm very lucky. Yeah, they do seem to like it. What makes a dream client out of all the artists you've worked with? Can you pick, I don't know, your number one, your top three, and why are they so good? Is it because they always do their homework or they're keen and they're happy to do it 68 times or whatever? <laughs> You'd probably kill me for this, but if I if I if I had to pick someone to be a poster boy for my services, let's just say it would have to be Tom Walker, because what he's done with what I've given him is really quite mind blowing. So it's not just me coaching; it's them taking it on board and wanting to make it work. Tom practices. 
Tom has completely changed the way he was doing things and yet we've managed to retain his own personal style. You know, he still sounds like him, just better. And he's, yeah. you know, and he really is a phenomenal vocalist now. He always makes me proud and I'm, you know, I'm always pleased with the results. But at the same time, he's able to take it on the chin if it wasn't good enough and we look at why it wasn't good enough and we, we you know, and we, we practice and get it right. He's got that 2% now. <laughs> he has. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever, and I'm sure this probably isn't the case, but are you ever working with a, a lazy artist maybe who management are like, okay, you need a bit of a kick up the bum. Let's get you to a vocal coach. Oh, yes. that, that... yeah. There's plenty of those in the early days. But then I think once people see what's possible, it tends to give them the kick up the butt that they need. Because I, I think... A lot of young artists, the management go, right, you need to see a vocal coach, you're going to see Lorna, and they come in and they're lovely, but you can tell there's that kind of resistance to go, oh, God, do I have to do this? Because I think people imagine a singing lesson, and I don't do singing lessons. And you must see, and I've sort of spoken to a few of the guests on this podcast about it, but you must see artists sometimes because we think they're these big characters, we see them on stage in front of thousands, but they're humans and you must see a really vulnerable side when they don't get the note or when you're asking them to like do it again. Like none of us like repeating ourselves. So you must go through really frustrating times and jump over hurdles with these people. Yeah, and I, my heart breaks for them when it doesn't go right because what the public see is a very glossy, finished result of a lot of hard work that sometimes towards all of a minute and a half on international television, um, when they have to come up with the goods and the whole world's waiting to say what they thought of it. Um, and yeah, I, I always will them to do well and I want them to do well. Um, but yes, it is difficult and I hate it when they don't get it right for them more than anything. Um, Especially I guess, for these people, sorry, their, their egos, they've been told their talents, like that's why they've been picked. That's why they've got management. To, so, so then to know that, that that's all on their side and they've got that in the back pocket to have you be like, mm, you could do this a bit better, a bit better, a bit better. It's like, oh, great. Like, why now? Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, one of my little phrases is I, I always say to all my artists, I love you enough to have you hate me for half an hour. Because at the end of the day, it's my job to say, you can do better than that. That wasn't very good. Yeah, you know? refreshing honesty. Yeah. Um, and, and that's always my job, which sometimes is hard, but it's got to be done. And, and I think the day that I become someone who goes, well done, when it was rubbish, is uh, that's the day I should give up, really, because that's not helpful. You lose the respect of your artist then, I think. What about um, auto-tuning? Some people will be like, well, I don't know. I don't think this person, they say like, I mean, this is a very safe person to say because you know it's not true. Adele, she can't sing. She mimes when it's live and it's all auto-tuned. Some people will think all these artists have all their records auto-tuned. Um, recorded, like um, recorded music. Yeah, and therefore won't be able to sing naturally. So I think they're probably, they look the part, but actually there's little substance to their voice. Um, I don't believe anyone can do well who has little substance to their voice. And that's also anyone with little substance to their character. It's so hard to be successful in this industry. 
probably like 2% of artists break and make it. Probably 5% of them make a decent living. You know, it, there's so many people out there that just don't make it. So to anyone, all the haters who want to say things about people, I go, you do it. Go on, go and have a go. You yeah. stand up there when your legs are shaking, when your face is twitching, and you feel like you're going to pee your pants. <laughs> yeah, and then try and get a good voice note out. <laughs> Love that. The names you have listed in this podcast are huge. Do you ever, and they've kind of, like you said, some of them have already made it by the time they come to you. Do you ever feel, a, I don't know, like a sense of imposter syndrome that you're the one who's kind of like responsible for these big voices and making them sound even better uh yes I do get huge imposter syndrome um uh, a good example would be when I went I went to LA to record do a singing a song called swan song for the movie Alita amazing song absolutely incredible song um with incredible writers and producers behind it um and then when we got to the studio uh it was a fancy LA very bougie studio really really gorgeous um and uh the producers are Matt Mann and Robin I'm sure you've heard of they work with Max Martin and big big producers and I have recorded one track for them before um but this time they were facetiming it into the session so they were in on the session and their engineer was there so I didn't have my engineer I had their engineer and the American engineers at the studio. And then we've been there 10 minutes and a television crew walks in who are from Fox TV, who are filming the whole thing. Um, and do his lovely manager, Julian was there, who is just a good friend. And uh, he was handling most of the things, but the woman from Fox, the director, she was like, so how do you want to do this? <laughs> I was like, um, well, and then Stuart arrived, and of course there's this like just wall of people, and she kind of gave me the whole. Can we go in there? So I'm we went in. <laughs> yeah, so we went and had a little chat, and she said, "There's just too many people to take direction from here." I was like, "No, I know that." Um, I said, "So, what should we do?" And she said, "Well, I'll just I'll talk to you, and you talk to everyone else." I was like, "Okay, fine." And then I sat down at the desk and just the sweat was just running down my back because there's just all these people. Um, big important people as well. And with a camera crew there, like I'm guessing sometimes you swear in sessions and suddenly you've got to be like, oh. I always swear. I'm dreadful. I've done really well today. I don't think I've said fuck, have I once? <laughs> just then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's the TV crew. There's these really important producers from... Um, uh, from Sweden, uh, there's one of the writers, Justin Transer, who's just such a lovely man, sat right next to me, and he had my back the whole way, I've got to say, he was phenomenal. Um, and just trying to do your thing when everyone's going, what next? <laughs> yeah, like deliver the goods. You're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um But it was fine, and I did fine, and the song did really well, so it was okay in the end. But yeah, but How do you scary. calm yourself down in that moment when you are dripping with sweat and you're anxious and you're aware that every all eyes are on you um I focus on the artist I'm there for them essentially I'm not there for any of the other people in the room I am there to get what the producers need from the artist so I just focus on the artist and that would be true in any nerve-wracking situation it's like it's not about me it's about them so hone in on that 
and um, hope that the sweaty hands go away before anyone <laughs> asks to shake one. <laughs> Uh, I have to ask you quickly about Dua Lipa. Is she as lovely as she looks? Is she, she comes across as, I don't know, like she's a very kind of like zany person. Is she zany in real life? Yeah, she's just lovely. We get on great. I, you know, she's just Dua to me. I've known her since she was 19 years old. Um, yeah, my career has risen up alongside hers and that's what's really nice. And she's always lovely. She's direct, honest, you know, and we get on great. So... I can't ask for more than that, really. And so hardworking. She's got a work ethic like no one else. I mean, like if you were saying earlier about the amount of artists who make it and then the amount of artists who really, really make it, you clearly have to have that level of graft to get you there. Oh, yeah. You've, you've got to be tough. You've got to be made of strong, sturdy stuff. And you've got to be willing to work. And I think you've got to be nice as well. People get, you know, annoyed quickly if you're not nice. And then yeah. you don't get then you don't get what you want from people. You don't want to do nice things for dicks, do you? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had a very enjoyable stalk of your Instagram and I quickly learned that you're not just based in a studio and when Corona isn't ruining everything for all of us. You are often behind the scenes at gigs. I saw that Dua Lipa's performance, Graham Norton, you were there. You were there for her studio stream. What are you doing on days like that? Is it kind of like last minute tweaks or going over the songs and sort of nailing down those bits you've worked on? Um, well, on a day like Graham Norton, for instance, um, I see Dua after she's done glam. So she's mainly ready, probably not in her outfit. We do warm up we talk through anything that's usually difficult or for instance if there's dancing involved which bits might be challenging make sure we've covered all bases there um i wear a set of in-ear monitors that are the same as hers and i have her mix in my ears so that i can hear what she's hearing and i'm just using Dura as an example here this i do this with all my artists so um top of the pops this year i was there with mabel um, I have her mix in my ears and then I also go to the broadcast gallery so that I can hear what the public are hearing because what I'm after is what my artist is hearing tallying up with what the broadcast mix are hearing because sometimes when you see artists on television and you think god they're flat or like wow why is her timing so bad today and it's because something's out of sync hardly yeah ever it'd be quite impossible fault. to sing out of time on purpose <laughs> yeah and it's hardly ever the artist's fault when things like that go wrong it's there's normally a technical issue so that's my first port of call is making sure all the like that and it's not that I don't trust the technical team to do their job because they're always doing a brilliant job but sometimes they're not listening to what's going on in in the artist ears like the artist is hearing it and that's my job is to they can delegate that to me they just they've just got to sing well and perform well I'll worry about if it's coming across well. Um, and then we'll usually do camera rehearsal. Um, after the first full run through, I'll give notes to the artist in question, make sure everything is perfect. Um, and then I normally wait if they normally say, Are you happy? And I normally get the same question from nearly all of them what does Lorna think? And then I'll give a thumbs up and then we'll go back to the dressing room. And then I go to broadcast um, for the actual performance. Um, and is, is that a really nerve wracking time when they're performing or by then <laughs> are you quite relaxed? Do you have faith in them or is it like, oh, please make it, please? You sort of like gripping um, your teeth. I spend so much time with a lot of my artists that I 
I really trust them to do a good job. When I get really nervous as if they're unwell or, you know, feeling emotionally not great, because um, that can make all kinds of things happen. And yes, I do get nervous and I find myself willing them through the performance. <laughs> but um, Josh that I work with at Warner's, he once said to me, it's like, I'm like I'm puppeteering because sometimes he said if you watch you it's like you're doing it for them. mirroring like, them, like yeah. spiritually <laughs> I don't know but um yeah I, I I do get nervous um but in general I I'm really proud of them and um it's when it's live I guess I get less nervous when it's live so I think well what'll be will be now you know we've put in the work let's just do a great performance and everything will be fine. Um, I get more nervous when, uh, say for instance, a show like Graham Norton, where it's filmed as live the week before or something like that, you normally get to have two goes. Um, and it's normally for the camera and lighting crew to get everything correct. But if there has been any kind of little blips or anomalies, you can go, oh, we prefer take one or we prefer take two. And I, when I get nervous is when they go, take one or two. And I go, two. And they go, sure. And I'm like, definitely sure. But as I say, I'm definitely sure. And I'm always sure. I know because I know what my artists, what they would be proud of. I, so I'm always sure. But there is that second where I go, oh, God, don't let me get this wrong. Yeah, because like, I mean, even though like outwardly the pressure is on, say we're talking about Dua Lipa, the pressure is on Dua Lipa, but you know within her management, like that's a lot of responsibility for you. You're kind of green lighting the performance that could go out to thousands, to millions. Yeah, and I, I'd be heartbroken if she wasn't happy with it, you know. You spoke earlier about artists are able to have a little bit of fun. Is there such thing as too much fun and damaging the voice? Or yes. even like, <laughs> <laughs> even before this interview, I had some chocolate and I was like, I don't think chocolate is supposed to be very good for you when you're like, I don't know, it kind of like cloys your mouth up in terms of vocals. Like what kind of guidance do you are you giving to these stars you're working I mean, with? Chocolate just gives you noisy spit. There's no, no, no nice way to put it. So if you've had a chocolate bar and then you get on a studio microphone, you can hear that all that kind of, that's just really oh, I'm never going to eat chocolate on a date again. That's why I was just being so aware. Um, caffeine does exactly the same, noisy spit. <gasps> no caffeine, um, no chocolate. <laughs> no, I'm a firm believer that if, in having great vocal technique, I'm, you know, I'm no angel. I love a glass of wine. You know, I love to go out when we're allowed and have a nice time. Um, there's not much that you can't fix with good, strong vocal technique because it's about taking your vocal technique into your daily life. Um, for instance, your your speaking voice, not abusing your vocal cords, um, not shouting and yelling. Now, alcohol doesn't give you a sore throat. The behaviour brought about by alcohol gives you a sore throat. So, and then, and that's of course if you're not suffering from something like acid reflux or things like that. So, um, top tips: you know, have some Gaviscon before bed if you've had a few and you've got to sing the next day. <laughs> I shouldn't say these kind of things. No, you should. So, you need all your artists to be very zen drunks, very mellow, not too ravey, <laughs> not too shouty, <laughs> and, and no cigarettes. fizzy drinks. No fizzy drinks. Okay. And what about smoking? If you find out they've smoked on a night out, are they in trouble? Oh, the lectures are endless from me about smoking. Really? I get the roll of the eyeballs, the, 
I'm trying to give up. I will give up. And I have to say, they're all really honest with me about it because they know that I know. You can hear it probably. Yeah, yeah. of course I can. Of course I can hear it. Yeah. (laughs) But um, the lectures are endless for me about smoking. Yeah. You can ask Dan Kaplan about that one. I've been on his case for, I think, like eight years now. (laughs) But by the sounds of it, you're happy to take on this motherly role. If it gets them that performance and it gets them that they kind of get that vocal performance, then it's worth it in the end. Oh, yeah, completely. Tell me about what a really good day at work is for you all. I don't know, looking back on your career, is it hearing an album that you think, yeah, I worked on that and that worked really well? Or is it, say, like Dua Lipa's live performance? Is it a set that you just think, yes, because of my work, we achieved that? Yeah, I mean, I I get all kinds of thrills from this job that I never thought I would in various different situations. I love being in the studio with an artist recording. I think it's probably my favorite thing to do. I love uh, the dramatic and emotional side of that and the fun side of that. Um, And how much wiggle room you've got in the studio, you know, it's just endless amounts of try this, try that. And um, I enjoy the challenge. Um, But I get really, really proud when there's a live performance that goes extremely well like award ceremonies or big gigs um they're always my favorite days because there's such a huge run-up to something like that as well lots of rehearsals and um run-throughs and analyzing crazy little pieces of the song that go with a particular part in the set and why it works why doesn't it work make it work um so when it all comes together that's big thrills yeah. yeah and the um, scale of the events you're working on they're huge so the brit awards it's the grammys and the kind of accolades now that the music you work on are getting that must feel amazing yeah I mean, it's bonkers it's absolutely mad we got an email me and my management got an email from the grammys <laughs> and you get to go to the grammys you get to wear nice dresses <laughs> <laughs> is it a pinch me moment when you're there you're like i accidentally fell into vocal coaching and now here I am at the Grammys with Dua Lipa. Yeah, it's quite strange. Um, I mean, I'm always backstage, you know, bombing about in a pair of trainers and my jeans because I'm normally running around a building somewhere going from broadcast to the editing truck to the, you know, wherever. Um, but it, I had to go when I was at the Grammys. Uh, was that last year? It was a year before, wasn't it? No, was it last year? Oh, my God. Where did 2020 oh. go? <laughs> I know. Um, it was, you know, you you're backstage and it's just another backstage area. Um, and I said to uh, one of the guys that I work with, I was like, oh, should we just go for a walk? I went for a walk out around the auditorium and they're setting the tables up and the red carpet's out. And it's like, wow, I'm at the Grammys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't just any backstage rehearsal room. <laughs> no. So we yeah. spoke there about the highlights of your job and some of the best days at work, what does a really bad day at work look like? Um, A bad day at work usually starts with like a a 3am lobby call when we only went to bed at midnight or something like that. Um, that, Those kind of things usually happen on promo tours uh, when there's been a gig the night before and I'm there because the artist had two lots of promo that day, then we do a gig then we go to bed as well, we just lie down for a little bit and then get back up because you're too anxious to sleep because you're worried about getting up at 3am um, uh, and you're in a different time zone. 
and then you get off the plane at the other end you have to go straight to a television studio and be on it for the same thing again and it's no less important than the one you did yesterday they're all the same and your artist is exhausted and they can't um, have caffeine or fizzy drinks <laughs> <laughs> well choose your battles <laughs> at that point if I'm just going to cheer you up just have whatever you like <laughs> um yeah and and then if rehearsal doesn't go well and I have to drag an already flagging artist through the only hour that they had to themselves that day going we need to get this right and they're always willing to do it because they know the pressure that's on them but that's hard you know um or if I've got an anxious artist that is struggling yeah because you hear anxiety in a voice don't you you can hear your voice wobbling and just on a human level it's just heartbreaking to watch them go through that when they're so incredible and then they just think they're rubbish (laughs) and I can't bear it social media even if it's just like 10 tweets and they've all got a few retweets saying like that was awful you sounded rubbish we just we do like we just focus on the negatives are you there some is it your responsibility to be like you know what you just have to ignore what they're saying on this occasion like you're great yeah and a lot of the things that you say to people in those situations that we all say in those situations they mean nothing because it's the little worm that's got in there in into their brain and into their heart you know and so I find that the best way to show them how great they are is to just go back to the music sing the song get it right sometimes I just record them on my phone and go listen listen to this it's fucking great yeah so just do your job your job is to sing this song brilliantly for the next three minutes do you think you can do that and what about dealing with not an anxious artist, but a deflated, overtired, maybe a bit of an attitude. Does that come your way sometimes? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we all get a bit grumpy when we're knackered on the road. I tend to just go into joke-making mode. I don't think that's a conscious decision. I don't know when it happens, but I just, you know, there's other jobs to do and not have a nice time. You've got to have fun. Yep. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, a vocational thing. Yep. Mm. So let's take it back to the good stuff. Say when you're driving in your car and you hear an Ellie Goulding song come on that you've worked on or same with Dua Lipa what does that feel like you kind of like you must listen with a different pair of ears to the rest of us you're kind of like analyzing every little note <laughs> <in that car. laughs> um I know by the time I make it to radio I'm like oh yeah because it will either be I've rehearsed it with them or uh in some people's like in like Dua or Tom's case I've, I've recorded it you know with them um with Ellie, it's funny because obviously she was really well established before she came to me. You know, she's a very uh, successful artist, and I only started working with her just over a year ago. Um, and sometimes it comes on, and I just find myself giggling because it's like I've just finished a session like this with Ellie, and then I get in my car and she's on the radio, and it does make me laugh. Um, I think the funniest thing is if I'm at the gym, like having a full-on sweaty struggle. And they're on the speakers in the gym. And I sometimes I find myself going, shut up, just watch you watching me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just here trying to, you know, 
be fit and you're still singing (laughs) (laughs) can you still listen to them or do you I don't know does putting on Dua Lipa's album now feel like oh my goodness work get it out I need I still still listen to all of them I I, I can honestly say that there's no one that I work with I don't love to listen to their music um I think I have sent in the past both Dua and Mabel little screen like um a quick little iPhone photo of a screen in a gym or like an airport or something and I'll usually write something like you again and I send it to them just (laughs) (laughs) banter (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing here again (laughs) do you feel that you get the recognition you deserve with all these artists and all the kind of your work is so crucial to what they do and all the success they've got now do you feel that you get the recognition or do you sometimes want to be like, I did that. I When she's singing, I need to be side of stage being like, hello. <laughs> no, I think if you'd asked me when I was 18 that question, I would have felt very differently about it. But no, I'm I'm really proud of all of them. And I'm also really lucky. Like my artists are very generous about me and my role in what they do. Um, and I'm incredibly lucky, you know, in the fact that they share their success with me. Um, and they're not shy in saying, oh, Lorna's my coach. You know, that's that's really beautiful. And, you know, I get lovely Instagram love and all that kind of thing from them and Christmas gifts and, you know, just lovely, lovely people. Who gave you the best Christmas gift? Oh, I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, so looking to the future, are there any artists that you really want to get your hands on? Oh, God, no one's ever asked me that before. Um, it's hard to say. A lot of them come to me really early doors. But is there anybody who, ex- I don't know, because you, again, going back to that different pair of ears you have, we hear a song on the radio and I'm like, oh, what a bop. But you hear a song on the radio and you're probably like, oh, maybe I could have just pushed him in to make that note a little bit different. Like, are there anybody who you just think that you would work really well with? <laughs> Any American stars? <laughs> Um, no, because I'm just going to sound like I don't like what they do. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been sad that I never got to meet George Michael. Mm -hmm. If I, you know, if there's one voice I could have worked with ever in any capacity, it would have been George Michael. He's the person I reference most in vocal direction, coaching, production. That was one incredible. Did he have a vocal coach himself? I don't know, actually. Yeah, you could do a joint workshop if they're still around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Laura, you've been fantastic and I've learned so much from you. We always end the podcast with a piece of advice or wisdom that throughout your career you have learned, maybe from an artist you work with, but just something that is concrete in your mind. It's like, yeah, these are wise words to live by and that you want to share with everybody. Um, I would say just take one day at a time. Uh, Every single artist that I work with has a grueling schedule, some worse than others. And you can't do everything all at once. And you can't do the thing you're supposed to be doing right now when you're worrying about the thing you've got to do tomorrow. So just do the thing you've got to do right now and then tackle the next bit when it's time to tackle that. That is so comforting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, genuinely, that's so comforting. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
Ah, I just loved chatting to Lorna. What a joy she was. To keep up with her, just head to her Instagram at Lorna J Blackwood. If you made it through to this point without slipping off to play Dua Lipa, then hello, I'm very grateful. And I'm hoping this means you've enjoyed what you've heard. If the answer is yes, please subscribe, leave a review and come and pay who you don't see a visit next week when we'll be joined by Eri Ishuzi. She's the nail artist who got J-Lo's hands inauguration ready. So excited. So hopefully we'll see you then.